if there was a tradition or rumour or superstition that Sellhouse Broad had healing properties and that it went that when there was a certain ripple of water the first one in was healed well it was a little bit like that it's possibly uh, it's possible that this pool was very similar the archaeologists uh, discovered in 1856 the remains of this pool near St. Stephen's Gate it's next to St. Anne's Church in the old city if you want to find it so it's no surprise that you will find a crowd of folk there if this was happening in Norfolk we would be having folk gathering from all over the show waiting for that certain ripple and here in Jerusalem there is this pool there where it's said that a certain ripple perhaps by the angels the first in was healed forget the rest and this guy had been probably waiting for quite some time at least 38 years that we'd known that we'd known that he'd been paralyzed and I guess as they waited to to jump in to the pond it was a little bit like winning the national lottery you know it could be you today if you're the first one in so I hope you've just got something of the, a quick picture of what Jesus was encountering here people who were lame disabled and in need of a miracle in their lives what did Jesus model well we see a number of things I hope we see that when you feel invisible and overlooked he comes alongside when you feel invisible and overlooked he comes alongside Jesus comes alongside the, the least, the desperate, the passed over, the impossible cases, just as much as he went to the educated and the Pharisees and the religious too. And here we appear to have had a gathered union of the most unfortunate in life, the disabled, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. I say unfortunate because they would have been the ones who were always looked down upon. Now, there was no care system. They were totally reliant upon their family or friends and charity in order to survive. And I suspect there may have just been a sense of, because we're human, woe is me. I mean, I'm the worst here. You know, just like when we start talking to someone and we say, you know, oh, I've had, a, I've had a headache. And then the other person replies, a headache? You want to have the migraines I have? I've had a rash this week. You call that a rash? Look at this. I've broken a bone. You've broken a bone? I've broken every bone in my body. You've had a heart attack. I've been resuscitated five times. You know the stories sometimes. 
the old comedy act of you, you, you know, well, you know, we lived in the cardboard box. You lived in the cardboard box? You were lucky. You can imagine they were human. That those sorts of comparing, contrasting stuff may have just gone on. And here we've got a guy who's paralysed. That's all we know, no name, for 38 years, clearly helpless and hopeless, always looking up to others and always being looked down upon. And the truth is, if you're desperate, you may just try anything. The world around us, we know, will try anything at least once. We may try anything once, whether that's magic crystals or whether that's a new age chant or specific meditations or old wives' tales if you rub this in or if you take this particular thing or we might wear a a lucky charm or a hamlet or a a rabbit's foot and four-leaf clover. You get the idea. When you're desperate, you might want to just try anything. And maybe the one who was paralyzed and desperate might just be here this morning. You can't see the wood for the trees. And those terms of being paralyzed and desperate could well equate to mental, emotional or spiritual blindness too. It's possible that the sickness or spiritual, emotional needs for this guy and for you have lingered for years and have cast a shadow on how you see Jesus. I don't know why all the disabled around the pool weren't healed that day. But I do know that one guy had an appointment with Jesus. And Jesus saw the guy and he learned something of his story and he had a specific encounter with Jesus. Let me remind you. He's here. Same Jesus. Same power to encounter by the Holy Spirit this morning, binding the brokenhearted, setting captives free. That's his job. That's what he does. Let me remind you that just like the guy who seemed overlooked and he learns of his story. He's intimately acquainted with all of your ways too. So much so that he knows the number of hairs on your head. And he comes right alongside. This isn't a case of the good enough squads. He comes right alongside the most unworthy.
But the truth is, we're all unworthy. And we can't gain favours from God with our stack of brownie points. We're reliant upon God's grace. God's unfavoured merits towards us. So when you're feeling invisible and overlooked, just remind yourself this morning, He comes alongside. Just as much as those guys must have made an effort every day, maybe. Maybe some of them slept around the colonnade near the pool, so they didn't have as far to go. But just as much as some would have made an effort to get there, some of you have made an effort to get here this morning. And you may be wondering, well, this is what I do Sunday morning. But you're wondering whether you might encounter Jesus. Or well, it might be for others. It just might be Jesus is coming alongside you now. Maybe putting his arm in it or embrace and just reminding you that you are extravagantly loved and precious to him. That you're not overlooked, but that he's coming right alongside you now. And then we see that it speaks of resurrection. I don't know whether you've noticed that in this passage before. It speaks of resurrection. He says to the guy, get up and walk. Get up and walk. And Jesus asks him one question. And he says to him, do you want to get well? And you might think, well, that's a bit of a strange question to ask. But you see, what happens next could be life transforming. It could turn his world upside down. If he's no longer sick and paralysed and begging, then where's his employment going to come from? That's what he's known for the last 38 years of charity. Now, if he's healed, if you really want to get well and you're healed, you're going to have to get up and go looking for a job. Just like everybody else. Now, if you get up and walk, you may lose all the sympathy that some close friends have given you over the years. Oh, poor you. Is there anything I can do for you? Because his life was going to be transformed. Maybe the thought could have been, well, I'm too old. I'm stuck in my ways to change now. Maybe he could have thought, I'll stick to my potions and my tablets and my therapies because he's worse off than me and... Avoid an encounter with Jesus. Who knows what went through his head? But what we do know is, his eyes weren't on Jesus. His eyes were watching the water for the next ripple. So when Jesus asked, do you want to get well? The guy's saying, oh, well, I really need some help for someone to try and push me in the water so I'll be first in, so I'll be healed.
It seems to me as I've read this passage, it can muck up your, your theology at times. When we think we've got God's sussed and how he works. And Jesus asked a similar question to another, to a blind guy, Bartimaeus. He just, asked, he just asked him one question. Do you remember Bartimaeus with his story? He had a loud voice. And he was yelling and screaming, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. On me. And the crowds were there and they were trying to pacify him and shut him up. Shut up, Bart! He's not come for the likes of you. And he carried on, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then some of the disciples of Jesus said, Hey, come on, lads, get up. <laughs> he wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to speak to you. Me? And Jesus asked him one question. And maybe he's asking you that this morning. What is it you want me to do for you? What is it you want me to do for you? Maybe in the season of millionaire, you want to phone a friend or ask the audience. But it seems obvious what he wanted. But the decision was left up to Bart, Bartimaeus. What do you want Jesus to do for you? How will you respond? Bart made every effort to encounter Jesus just as we've made every effort to get here this morning so why wouldn't he come alongside you one guy who's unsure who Jesus was and another guy shouting with a realisation that Jesus was the fulfilment of all the Old Testament promises Jesus son of David have mercy on me what matters was that Jesus was present. And he speaks resurrection. Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. And that word get up has that same root word that comes from the, re from the word resurrection. Stand up! And he's breathing resurrection life into this apparently dead body. Resurrection life. Stand up. Get up. Resurrection has that sense of standing up once again. So you've been knocked down and he resurrects him. To get up. And we see glimpses of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And now here's the surprise. And we remember before when we've had different encounters with Jesus, there's always been a surprise somewhere. Here's the surprise that might muck up your theology on healing. This guy had no idea who Jesus was. And yet, he was healed. Just like the other blind guy from birth, the other one, I mean, I don't mean Bartimaeus, the one who had a mud pack put on his eyes. And they said to him, who's healed you? And he 
didn't know really who had healed him. But he said, but the one thing I do know is, when everybody was trying to get an answer from him, one thing I do know is, once I was blind, and now I can see. And I just simply say, I haven't got it all sussed, but what grace, what mercy, what love. What a challenge and encouragement it is that he comes alongside the whosoever and offers life and hope in what appears to be a dead-end situations, and a resurrection takes place. His word was enough. Get up and walk. It's authority that counts, not fancy words. And the guy responded, maybe with a childlike faith, I admit, to the words of Jesus. And he obediently simply picked up his mat and he walked. Perhaps not just a hearer, but a doer of Jesus' words too. And the effects weren't just physical. It's important to remember that the biblical idea of healing is much wider than our narrow concepts of physical healing. Because shalom speaks of wholeness, completeness. And certainly in the medical profession, as I was once in those realms, speaks of holistic care of not just looking at what's wrong, but looking at the whole picture. Body, mind and spirit, if you like. And so, the big picture of shalom speaks of the lost, the healing speaks of re-establishing the lost shalom in people's lives. And that might be down to relationships with God, needing a healing touch. That might be down to relationships with each other too and with our community. And part of that reintegration and that lost shalom is being brought back in. And so we see an example of that with this guy. He picked up his mat and he walked. And where did Jesus find him later? Jesus found him in the temple. Because part of the process was, when they'd had a healing, previously been, as it were, kept out of the the family of God and not able to necessarily go into the temple to worship, he had to show himself to a priest to prove that now he was healed and nobody was going to be contaminated and be touched by it all. So he must have gone to the priest to demonstrate, hey, look at me, I'm healed, and allowed to go to the temple to worship. So he was reintegrated. He was welcomed back into the community of God. And many missed the fact that he healed because This is not, in their thinking, how God does it. So you remember that lovely line when he's walking, when he's walking with the mat and the the Pharisees around him um, didn't say anything about his healing. They just said, hey, you're not allowed to carry your mat on the Sabbath. They'd missed out on what God was doing before their eyes. And if we're not careful, we can be rigid too with our thinking of this is how God works and no other alternative and no other way. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing or what God wants to do in and through us 
this morning. Let's not be rigid in seeking to do things the way we think they ought to be done. I remember when I worked on a surgical ward there in Jerusalem and one of the Orthodox Jews came to me and the, the black hat and the curly whirlies as we used to call them with the payots alongside religious on the Sabbath I was working on the Friday, Saturday, Sabbath and he came to me urgently Think I thought somebody had collapsed quick, 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 quick come Steve and I rushed up the ward to see what was wrong and all he wanted me to do was urgently open the fridge for him so that he could get something out of it. You see what I'm saying? There's a strictness there. And we're living in a culture here where there was all of those things just as much as sometimes we can be rigid. The law for some was more important than grace. And the majority of my pastoral visits are to situations that require God's intervention to transform physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritual pain. So I'm not wanting to offer glib answers and responses this morning. But let's not be so rigid in our thinking about how God heals. Finally, perhaps just saying that life hurts but God heals let's not be rigid in our thinking some think that you should thank God for the healing before it's taken place as evidence of your faith that healing has taken place some think that those who pray if it be your will are seen as lacking faith and sowing seeds of doubt and it seems to me as pastor at times, sadly this sort of thinking can leave pastoral messes behind when no apparent healing has taken place. It seems to me there's no set methodology as to how Jesus went about healing. Because if we look at Scripture, we see that some he touched and others touched him. We see that sometimes he was present and sometimes he was far away. That some who had faith and others with very little. But it seems Jesus was pleased with a faith that affirmed that Jesus could do it. He can, not necessarily he will. And the story reminds us that our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. It's a story that reminds us that God is God and he works out of the box and in the box. So please, don't make those who are in need of a healing touch feel even worse or guilt-ridden when you who are healthy, tell them it's a lack of faith. God knows what it's like to suffer pain and death unfairly. He allowed pain at its most severe to strike him. 
We worship a suffering God who knows and shares in our pain. The truth is, not all are healed here and now. Let's be honest. The truth is, not all are healed. We know that in our own fellowship life. Paul's an example of having this thorn in his flesh. Who knows what that was? Some commentators say epilepsy, some say eye disease. We don't know what it was. But he cried out to God and it didn't happen. And yet somehow, miraculously, Paul was used in with a sense of healing ministry as well. But we do hear that it was God's grace that was sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And it seems human weaknesses provide the opportunities for God's power to be displayed in ways yet unseen. So let's make it quite clear. Let's state some truths. Jesus has the power to bring wholeness. And I believe Jesus heals today. Make no mistakes about that. I've seen it happen in my own family life and in my own life. I say healing with the physical healing. But also there's the spiritual healing of relationships too. And he brings wholeness because he's the creator and restorer who holds all things together. And we also live in a broken world. As followers of Jesus are reminded that there are moments of tribulation and suffering. But he says, but take courage. I've overcome. And unless the Lord returns, there is an appointed time for us to physically pop our clogs. But in dying, we will be marvellously healed. I remember talking to my brother-in-law. As you know, we prayed for him for quite some time, who died two, two years ago now, used greatly in the ministry of God, and who died at 67, having battled with cancer for quite some years. And at one point he said, Do you know what? Heaven isn't second best. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. We've got our tickets, as it were, to go to heaven. But because we're human, we fight like tooth and nail not to get there. I'm just saying, I'm like that too. Don't get me wrong, this isn't criticising anyone particularly. And it seems to me there are moments in people's journeys where we simply have to let go and let God. And there are precious pastoral times when we can come alongside people so that they can allow them to get themselves their, their house in order to meet with their wonderful Saviour. But if we're banging on at them that the Lord is going to raise them up it takes their eyes off preparing to meet 
with Jesus and getting their bags packed as you know Lilla's in hospital at the moment having broken a leg she's doing alright she's been moved to uh, the community hospital and she said to us the other morning she said I woke up disorientated I didn't know where I was but she said I sat there and I thought what do I know and she said and I said to myself I know that my Redeemer lives and she said and so I settled on that thought and that was enough for the peace to come back and for it to be reorientated Paul talks to the Corinthians and he says no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has conceived what God has in store for those that love him so this morning come he's here waiting come seeking come longing come just as you are come with lots of faith come with a little faith come with hardly anything but the invitation is to come and encounter him and let's pray that we might know of his healing touch in body, mind and spirit in the name of Jesus and let's pray that those with inner anxieties that rise up like a flood would be held back in the name of Jesus. But the invitation is to come. And Jesus doesn't put anybody's arm up the back. There was a question asked to both of those guys I've mentioned. What is it that you want the Lord to do for you? we're going to come around the Lord's table and we're going to sing a number of worship songs because it's right that we're worshipping him and that our eyes are not on the ripple and whatever else might happen but our eyes are on him, the cross and we're going to worship him I'm going to dare to say that whilst we're singing those two or three songs that if you want folk to specifically come alongside you and pray then there is some space on this front row and whilst we're singing that that maybe other folk will come alongside and pray I'm going to ask the elders and I'm going to ask the prayer ministry team to make yourself available this isn't planned in any great way but I'm asking those elders and, and uh, the prayer ministry team to make themselves available for us to simply come alongside and pray in the name of Jesus that you might receive a touch from the Lord and go with a sense of peace and rejoicing from this place as we come around the Lord's table too. It'll fit in one way or two.